2: spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Here's your host, James Witham. So many guests this week, you'd think it was Thanksgiving. It's episode 444 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and there's so many guests. I feel like if if I list all of the people... That I'm doing interviews with this week, the show will be over. So I'll just tell you that you're going to hear from one of the stars of Yellowstone. And you're going to hear from the stars and the, and the producers behind Transformers Earth Spark from Paramount Plus. You're going to hear from the creators, the showrunners, the executive producers of Circuit Breakers from Apple TV Plus. So there's something for family on this week's show, there's something for hardcore Yellowstone fans that you're going to be excited about. Plus, I'll talk about some nerd news with James Gunn teasing a very, very interesting project for DC. We'll talk about some Spider-Man, quote-unquote, news, rumors, whatever you want to call it. Talk about The Witcher, talk about Gears of War this week. So, so much fun stuff to talk about. Let's get it moving. And How should we start this? Let's see. Let's talk about Yellowstone first. Gil Birmingham, Rainwater himself, going to join me to talk about Season 5 next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
3: My name is Bo Smith. I'm the creator of Wine Owner Earth, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast.
0: This week, we're heading to the Governor's Mansion and season five of Yellowstone, which premieres on Paramount Plus this Sunday. And yeah, there's a Dutton in the Governor's Mansion right now. But I thought it'd be interesting to get the perspective of someone from the outside who may not be too thrilled about that. Gil Birmingham, who plays Rainwater on Yellowstone, joined me to talk about this upcoming fifth season and i thought he had some really interesting insights into not just this season but the show as a whole so here's my conversation with him Gil. how are you doing today
3: i'm doing great james how are you
0: doing very well thank you so you've been part of the show since the very beginning how does how do you feel like thomas has evolved as a character over that time as we head into season five
3: well i think it was more adversarial in the beginning and we're coming out the gate if anybody can remember the first uh season and then there was shifting shifting alliances and, you know, dynamics that kind of made Rainwater have to strategize differently from season to season. He's back at it again this season.
0: Kind of back at it in a very different way, though, in that, in that relationship, because how do you think he feels about having John Dutton as governor?
3: Well, that is a big power dynamic shift, and, you know, and that, that could really serve the purposes that John has, but all those, you know, surrounding the land are, are going to have to reassess their positioning with them.
0: No doubt about that. Like you said, the relationships kind of changed between the two of them over the course of the years. So they've worked together in the past. They've been big adversaries in the past. So would you say where is their common ground right now, would you say, if there is any, in your opinion?
3: I think the common ground is that they both have a, a deep respect for each other and for the stewardship of the land. I mean, that's what's most connecting for definitely Rainwater. And I think it's a legacy that John Dutton has for his his family. But he's he's pressured by a lot of outside forces, you know, trying to keep afloat, you know, with the, after being, you know, generations within his family and ownership. No doubt about that.
0: Now, things between Casey and Monica have been, arguably never been better than they are right now. And we we saw Casey really being respectful, respectful of Native American culture last season. So, first of all, as a Native American yourself, how happy were you to see those scenes as a part of the show? And what would you say Rainwater's opinion of Casey is?
3: I think... Casey is, is struggling between two different worlds. You know, he has a, the colonial mindset, you know, that he was raised on, but he also has a deep appreciation for for the natural law and natural world, you know, uh, perspective that he's, you know, shares with Monica. So Rainwater is somewhat of a, like an outside stepfather, you know, in terms of guidance and understanding that he wants to really build a, a value system for his son, Tate, you know, that's more in the real world and not the the colonial or commercial world that he's much a he's a big part of
0: do you think it's kind of appropriate that the show actually is airing during the middle of native american heritage month because we get to see some of the native american culture in the show do you think that this is a, a good time to be able to put a spotlight on that
3: oh i think it's always a good time to put the spotlight you know on native native culture and diversity and the contributions that the community has made to making this car- you know this country of of a stronger character you know, and there's there's a lot of challenges for Native Americans that don't really reach the mainstream. So it's wonderful that Yellowstone and and Taylor and his writing addresses some of those things, and also sharing some of the you know the the ceremony and culture within the show.
0: Exactly what I was thinking. Absolutely, certainly we don't see that enough for sure. So we know that Rainwater's looking for potential allies this season. How much do you feel like Jamie could actually be a wild card this season, or do you feel like? that Rainwater might not be able to trust him either.
3: Well, Rainwater doesn't really have much interaction with Jamie. So he's not really privy to the, you know, back scenes or the family dynamics that he's engaged in. Then of course, you know, news will come out that's going to be news for him as well, or Rainwater that is. But everybody, everybody's a wild card, you know, in this scenario.
0: That, that's a very good point. That's a very good point, including market equities. I'll throw them yeah. in there too because they're no fan of the Duttons either and they've certainly offered to help Rainwater in the past and And so do you think that he maybe still sees them as an
3: ally? I think he's uh, at least looking for a, you know means to the end and if, if it facilitates him and it accelerates the time frame that that can happen then that's where his decision making based on the system that he's working on you know comes comes into play you know he's still a man of a moral backbone and And compassion and some of the values, as many of the values that the native culture encourages, it's a tough, tough line to really walk, you know.
0: Exactly. As a matter of fact, I thought it was interesting when I was watching the trailer that John Dutton says a line to the fact is, you know, we've got, we've got a lot of enemies and they show Rainwater in that sequence of saying that he's one of the enemies. Do you think he feels like he's the bad guy here or or the, or the, or the enemy, or do you feel like he's the one that thinks he's doing the right thing?
3: Oh, I'm certainly sure that John feels the the pressure and responsibility of a legacy that he's he's promised his his father and his grandfather to live through and and to pass that on, you know, to his the next generation. So I think that's where another thing they have in common. He understands the nature of the passing on of the land to the next generation, you know, and its stewardship and trying to keep it from getting developed in the very commercial way that they're always pressured to do.
0: It's interesting because politics have always been kind of a part of the show, but never like a huge part of the show. Do you feel like politics are just kind of different in Montana and we're going to see a little bit of a different side of that than we would normally get to see in, in, say, other shows?
3: I think it's just so topical right now, right? And Taylor really writes what he knows and what he observes. It's a realistic injection of what you know the current current world that we're living in. He doesn't really try to take a political side. He just makes a presentation, mm-hmm. and then lets lets the audience decide where where they fall on the uh, on the matters that are being presented. I
0: like to play what if scenarios every now and then, Gil. So I couldn't help but wonder as I was as I was preparing for this, what kind of a governor do you think Rainwater would make?
3: I think he would make he'd make a great governor. Of course, he's going to have his opposition, and there's there's always the uh, you know the opposing forces that are not going to agree with what he wants. But uh, that's what this country was kind of been operating on since the very beginning. Uh, you know, my perspective would be a, there would be a more just and, and uh, equal policy making, and definitely a focus on on the land and its connection with for everyone, you know, not just indigenous people.
0: Boy, would that be interesting. I would love to see that at some point. Now, we know that Rainwater is willing to do what's best for him and, and obviously best for his people as well but how far do you think he's willing to go do you think he really wants war with the duttons if it has to come down to that
3: well it's a, it's how you define war you know i mean this is really kind of more corporate war there's never a, a system where he's you know relying on violence even though there is some violence you know on more personal levels of of certain situations but the war is really the system you know, and how you operate in it and how you gain leverage. And that's where John's going to have a new leverage position, you know, as governor. So we're all anxious to see how that's going to affect us all.
0: Definitely war in a different sense. Very well put Gil. Who's your favorite character or actor to share scenes within the show? Cause I feel like you've got some good ones with, with, with John, you know, with Kevin Costner, but what are some of the other ones that you love uh, during the show?
3: Well, I I love, you know, the camaraderie we all we all share with each other, but I have so few scenes with really anybody in the in the ranch. So it's mostly Casey and Mo and I, you know, strategizing for what's what's best for the people, but in any scenes I have. I we we had a scene, me and Kelly had a scene, I think back in season three for whatever reason they got that cut. But that was always that was fun to kind of step into that world for a bit.
0: Well, we can't wait to see what Rainwater's gonna be up to. Season five of Yellowstone premieres on November the thirteenth on Paramount Network. Gil, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it.
3: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: And I think it's interesting that even the trailer paints Rainwater as one of the quote-unquote bad guys of the show, but I don't know that there's too many times where he's actually been a bad guy, or his people have been bad guys. It's just very much not in line with what the Duttons want to do, and it seems like, you know, what the Duttons want, they will try and, you know, either keep or get by whatever means necessary, and I don't think the Duttons are the bad guys either. I just think there's a lot of perspective that you can have on this show, and it seems like there's always a battle to be waged and not necessarily a physical one, like Gil said. So I thought his insight was really, really interesting, but no matter what, no matter what side you're on, I'm sure you're going to be watching Yellowstone on Paramount Network. Season 5 begins this coming Friday, and I know that I can't wait. I've already seen the first episode, can't say anything about it, but I've already seen it. But so I'm really looking forward to watching it again on Sunday. Thanks again to Go Birmingham for joining me to talk about Yellowstone season five. Up next, we'll go to Paramount Plus this time to talk about the new Transformers series. There, Transformers: Earth Spark. The creative team and members of the cast will join me next on the Down and Nerdy podcast.
5: And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like
2: funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hey, this is Kari Walgren, the voice of Haruko in FLCO. And you
3: are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Paramount Plus is now more than meets the eye. Transformers Earthspark is now streaming On Paramount Plus, yes, a brand new Transformers animated series that I've really been looking forward to. So I'm so happy I got a chance to talk to some of the creative team and the cast behind this new show. And I actually want to start my conversation with Ant Ward, who's the executive producer, Dale Malinowski, who's also a co executive producer, and the voice of Alita One, Sissy Jones, where they talk about this series that, hey, can you share it with the kids? And the adults, is everybody going to enjoy it? We'll talk about that and so much more. Hey, James. Hi, Hi. James. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Good. How are you? Oh, great. Very good. Thank you. So I want to start with Dale and Ant, actually, because it feels like it's been forever since there's been a Transformer series. that's for both kids and adults. I feel like this one is it. So would you agree with that? And how would you say that Earthspark kind of fills that void?
1: I'd agree with a hundred percent. Yeah, and that, that's what we set out to do uh, initially—very much create a show that's for the whole family, something that you know, both of us being fans and growing up with G1, Beast Wars, Transformers hold a very special place in our hearts. I've got kids, so you know, working on a on a show that I can I can enjoy and they can enjoy watching, I think, is is the ultimate dream. So it's. Uh, We're always calling it like a generation 1.5. So it's been a blast.
0: I think that sounds about right. Sissy, I want to go to you because it's weird for me seeing such harmony between Autobots (laughs) and Decepticons. It's it's, it's freaking me out, actually. I mean, for the most part, anyway. So Alita One's always been a fighter. We know that. She's a fan favorite character. So would you say that she's still a bit on edge? Does it feel like peace? Where is she at?
6: You know, in a post-war situation, there's always going to be some tension. You know, so it's it's figuring out where do you call bygones and where do you stand your ground. And I think I think you're going to see some fun situations come out of that this season. And I'm not going to say anything else because I don't want to spoil it for you.
0: And yeah, nor should you because you absolutely <laughs> would. <laughs> so this one's kind of to everybody because it's usually Autobots versus Decepticons and kind of what I was just saying. <clears throat> and this show actually introduced a new threat though, in Mandroid. So what makes that character unique? Would you say? And do you feel like that makes this show feel even more fresh than it already is? having a
1: human antagonist like mandroid in the series was very exciting to us because it it felt like one of those things that could help separate us from some of the other transformers series that we love that have come before us and our story space taking place after the great war was such fertile creative ground to explore well what now where are these factions what are their relationships now Uh, have they evolved have they devolved what else has, how else has it affected the very planet that this war came to? And what are the results of that? So as we kicked around those kinds of ideas creatively, we discovered that there could be a whole new style of villain to enter the story space that isn't a traditional member of the Decepticons or or anyone else, but has nonetheless been affected by Transformers robots as a whole and uh, would have their own Dastardly plan to deal with it.
6: Would you? Would you say there's more than meets the eye? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wink, nudge. Well played. <laughs> we also have more newness though because we've got we've got Thrash. We've got Twitch as well with the Terrans. So, Sissy, I want to ask you about this because this has to be a little weird for for the Transformers, right? So, do they do they kind of welcome them with open arms? Are
6: they a little leery about this? What would you say? I mean i would say all of the above you know if you again you're living in a post-war situation and you're used to being on edge about every little thing and suddenly there's a whole new faction uh i'm sorry what (laughs) so you know again i'm gonna ask you to tune in on november 11th to paramount plus but uh um yeah i think it's it's a whole different it's a whole different can of worms
0: Look at that! She knows how to slate the the the, the time and the day and where to find the <laughs> everything. So I'm just gonna go with that one more time. So, "Transform with Earth Spark" is gonna premiere like <laughs> Sissy said on Paramount Plus, and said it way better than I did. Said it on Paramount Plus, November the 11th, 10 episodes. Can't wait for that, Aunt Dale Sissy. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, James. Speaking about how fresh and new this is, and some of the brand new characters that you're gonna see on the show, I also got a ch- got a chance. To talk to the Terrans themselves, Zeno Robinson and Catherine Cavara, who play Thrash and Twitch respectively. Also, Sydney Michaela, who plays Robbie, and Zion Broadnax, who plays Mo on the show. So, yeah, let's get the group together and see what they have to say about this new series. Hi. How's everybody doing?
1: Hello, good. Hey, good. How are you? Right?
0: Catherine and Zeno, actually, I want to start with you because we're focusing on a whole new group of Transformers in this series with the Terran. So how exciting is it for you all to kind of bring those fresh faces with Twitch and Thrash into the show? Because I think it's great.
2: I'm super excited about it. I uh, the the One of the coolest aspects of bringing Twitch and Thrash into the fold is it just introduces this whole new element to the canon and to the franchise, I think, and creating these new robots who are born on Earth and they're Terrans and so they have their own sort of unique properties that separate them from a lot of the robots we've seen thus far you know a lot of the iterations of the franchise introduce sort of a, a new element like uh like Beast Wars and you know the mini cons and things like that and I think this is just one of those one of those things but in a in a way that's not as tertiary I think as those things which I, I really really enjoy and it's just really really cool getting to play <laughs> a transformer robot like it's just there really cool getting to play a robot that has their own sort of like unique uh, position in the world and in the dynamic of, of the franchise.
7: Yeah, I mean, Zeno said it better than anybody else could. Um, <laughs> it's incredibly exciting to be a brand new Transformer robot. It's unbelievable to even have this opportunity to voice this brand new character, this brand new species. And it's just, it's, it's a huge honor. I'm very excited for everyone to see what we've got and for Sid, Sydney and
0: Zion you you your characters have a very unique connection to these two over here so so talk about how how cool is that and how, does that kind of feel so different from anything we've seen before in transformers cuz i think it does
6: I think it is going to be a little different because they do have a very special connection to the Terrans that are born on Earth. I don't know if I can specifically say what, but you can be looking out for what that really special connection is. But I think it is the same in the sense that, you know, we do see it in like a lot of the Transformers movies. Teenagers who, or kids in general, who just feel kind of outcast, who are trying to find their way, but just can't quite do it. And so with the help of Transformers robots, they do kind of feel this inclusion and this sense of family and belonging it is very exciting to bring that out because it's so cool getting to see them go on these adventures with each other and adopt them into the family and have so much love for each other and i think it's really cool that like sydney was saying
0: that they have this connection with each other that is different from the other
6: other ways people have the connection with each other
0: very cool very cool so we do get to see some familiar faces in the show we get to see optimus we could see alita one some other so who has the bigger cool factor for seeing the these big name transformers? Is it is it Twitch and Thrash or is it the Malto's? Because I, I think that it could go either way.
2: I think in the in the like within the scope of the story, I I think probably it would be cooler for Mo and and Robbie. Like they kind of know who these like. Got characters are like the like the the transformers kind of sort of have a history on earth already as it is like robbie and and mo as humans they've already like i think i think for thrash it would be like who are these guys? Like, why are they important? Like, I don't know why. Why are they? What do they have to do with me? You know, <laughs> I'm trying to explore this ice cream shop. You know, like he's 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 more worried about, like, exploring the world and having fun with his family. I don't think he even really kind of at first understands the gravity of the or the weight of who these characters, who who these characters are, especially because he he's just been recently born. Like he's 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 trying to explore Earth.
0: And we'll find out exactly what's going on there. Transformers Earth Spark when it premieres November the 11th on paramount plus everyone thank you so much for your time today thank I you
4: it. thank you so much
0: to me there are so many things to love about this new transformers earth spark series it definitely has that family vibe there's some serious stuff though going on here too and it just feels so fresh to have a villain like mandroid not that i don't love you know good autobot Decept- decepticon battle but sometimes you just got to shake things up a little bit and take a few chances and i feel like that's exactly what Earthspark does, but in a good way. And, you know, maybe this isn't going to be your thing because you're a Gen 1 Transformers fan and what you want to see is, you know, the, the robots in disguise battling it out. But if you want to broaden that a little bit and see things from a bit of a different perspective, and again, you know, maybe a gateway to get your kids into Transformers in the first place, I think Transformers Earthspark is exactly the kind of show that you want to see. And I really do think, if you, if you give this a chance, you're going to find something that you love about it. So Transformers Earthspark now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Give it a shot and let me know what you think. Again, thanks to the amazing voice cast and the creative team of Transformers Earthspark for joining me to talk about the brand new series this week. Up next, oh no, the interviews don't stop here. We'll head to Apple TV+, and talk about the new series, Circuit Breakers. We'll do that next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
3: Hey, this is Lou Diamond Phillips from Fox's *Prodigal Son*, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Keeping the family vibes going with a futuristic anthology series from Apple TV Plus. It's called *Circuit Breakers*. There's a lot of sci-fi. It leans to this, but it tackles some issues that you know kids deal with and young adults deal with in their day-to-day lives. It's a really, really neat series that I think that your kids will really dig, or even as an adult, maybe you'd be able to relate to some of the stuff as a parent, too, as well. So I got a chance to talk to the executive producers and and some of the members of the cast of this series. As a matter of fact, I want to start with the series creators and executive producer Melody Fox and Andrew Orenson, who talked about the show to get their insight on how they wanted to freshen this show up. Of course, this is you know a little bit of a reboot of a show that was done years ago, so let's get their perspective first. Hello. Hey, how are you both doing today? Great. Thank you. So this is one of those shows that, as a dad, I'm so glad is out there. But I I also love the fact that it's an anthology series, though. So, Melody, let's start with you on this one. Andrea, I want to get your take as well. What came into the decision to actually do this as an anthology series?
7: I loved watching The Twilight Zone and reruns when I was a kid, and then Outer Limits as an adult and since i personally loved anthologies because you got to see a new set of characters each week with new goals and new problems and new predicaments and then you got to see how they got out of them or not i thought that there that other people probably would share my enthusiasm for doing a twilight zone for kids and explore like kid relatable themes with this type of format
4: and for me having spent so many years writing on you know shows with continual storylines it seemed so uh, exciting to be able to play in different genres each episode to make 14 different movies where one episode is comedic and another one is more dramatic and one is maybe a little scary. It was such a freeing, really fun opportunity.
0: I never thought I'd hear the words Twilight Zone for kids ever in my life, <laughs> but I love that. I love it. So in, in doing that though, that means you've got to do a lot of different casting for a lot of different types of stories. So what's the challenge there? in casting these roles? Because I think you nailed so many of them and that's hard to do.
4: Oh, thank you. Well, we had a lot of help. We have an amazing team of casting directors, both at Apple and in Vancouver, Toronto and LA, to really scour and find us these great kids, but also using the opportunity to also find kids from different walks of life and different diversities and and all of that. Mm -hmm.
7: Yeah. So it wasn't just a challenge. It was an opportunity. And Apple was behind us all the way on that.
4: Huge opportunity. No doubt about that.
0: I also love that each episode sends like a different message or a certain kind of message. And, and sometimes it's tucked away in there. You got to find <laughs> it. And I, I, I love that too. So how do you go about choosing, okay, so this episode we're going to, to or this is the message we want to send. Do you kind of map that out ahead of time and decide, okay, here's the message that we want to send and here's how we want to execute it.
4: Yeah, I think we did it many different ways, but yeah, we we tried to start with kind of, what are those relatable kid issues that the audience would probably relate to? And then we asked ourselves, well, what's the really cool science fiction way to tell that story? And other times we would just start the other way and say, wouldn't it be great if we could pause our parents and then kind of go from that and, and think. But we always tried Hard to make sure that we did have a point and a theme to the episodes now here's the
0: i'm gonna make you choose your favorite kid question and see if you'll see if you'll actually answer it for me but do you have a favorite episode me i'm gonna go episode four i like them all but you know episode four is my favorite how about you melody we'll start with you
7: that that it was that's my pick as well. That's as that is a story about the principal and the student body swabbing. I actually came up with that story originally, but Andrew, who I is <laughs> who's a comedy writer at heart, he thought he could execute that one well and he did. And I was Thank just you. so happy with it because it not only told the story of swapping places with someone, walking, you know, a day in someone else's shoes. But I think he did it with a tremendous amount of heart. I think the two characters connect at the end. So it's not just about how funny it is, which it is comical, but also the way they connect in the end and really appreciate one another. So that's actually my my, my favorite well, in the you. first seven.
4: Well, I'm very proud of it. I also had a real fondness for Picture Perfect. I have no idea what number that was. But it's uh, where the family's going through divorce and they get to go through this memory machine, which I thought was such an interesting... Beautifully shot, well written piece of television.
0: That's another good pick too. But you guys will get to decide which one's your favorite on November the eleventh. That's when Circuit Breakers premieres on Apple TV Plus. Andrew Melanie, thank you so much for your time today. I really thank appreciate you it. Very thank much. you.
7: Thanks for joining us.
0: You heard me mention episode four there. So I got an opportunity to also talk to a couple of the actors from that fourth episode, Maz Gibrani and also Cole Kariatsko's about those characters, the principal, and the student that he swaps with. So I couldn't wait to talk to them about that episode. Let's say hello to them.
5: Hi, James. You got a similar background to us. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're both in the universe together. We're all yes. just kind of hanging out in the universe. <laughs> it's really cool, though. The, the, this show is very, very amazing, and I loved your characters. You're in the fourth episode, of course. So talk about the, actually the challenge, and, and Cole we will start with you, about playing your characters in this particular episode. And I'm not sure I could we could say the reason... But there's got to be a little bit of a challenge
6: there. I mean, we, I think we can say, we can sure. explain. Since we do end up switching bodies when this experiment ends up going wrong, there is a challenge of trying to play. I had to play both me as a kid and also my principal. And so I feel like that is a big challenge with having to tackle both the kid side and the adult side. Immediately when I first heard that it was going to be Maz, I started watching his stand-up because he's a stand-up comic and trying to figure out that physicality. So that was one of the biggest things that I was working on.
5: I did zero research, I just showed up and did it. I'm a natural. No, I, uh, I, I, have a, I have kids that are in that age range, especially I have a son who is pretty much the age of the character in the show. So I was excited to get a chance to play my son, basically. And I'll be honest with you, as a comedian, I probably started out going a little over the top and it was uh, Romeo Candido, the director, who did a good job of reining me in some. And seeing it, I, I think he did a, I think that was a smart choice. And then it was fun to work with Cole here, who he's a mature human being. I won't even, you're not a kid, you're a, you're a human <laughs> being. And I really enjoyed our time on and off camera and it made it easy, it was it was just a blast.
0: Now for the really important question, which of the two of you is the better drummer?
6: Ooh, huh. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to pick between the two of us who are probably both terrible drummers. Yeah. When I was younger, I actually really wanted to be a drummer. So, my parents wow, found Yeah, my parents found a bunch of like really bad like side of the road drums. They weren't like tuned or anything. I still have awesome. them in my basement actually. In about a week, I was like done. I never got a teacher or anything, but I still wanted to. And before this role, I ended up actually going downstairs setting it up like an actual drum set and kind of just playing around with it.
5: Yeah, well, I was excited because when the scene came for me where I'm supposed to be playing the drums, they brought this guy who was a drummer. Yeah. And they were just going to, you know, they just got his hands. And I go, oh, that's so movie magic. Makes me look like I know what I'm doing. So, yeah, it was great, man. I
6: I had a lot of fun, though. It was really great. It was really fun to just, uh, we, you know, Experimented with a lot of different like drum patterns and things and it was really fun to just have the looseness of Seth Combined with an actual good drummer.
5: Yeah, and it was a really nice crew I gotta say I I I keep saying this obviously crews are great all over the place But this Canadian crew was the nicest I don't know if all Canadian crews are so nice They were just super nice it the whole experience was one positive thing after the except for when it got really cold And it would be stormy (laughs) and cold but other than that it was great
0: Welcome to Canada. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
6: no doubt. Really quickly, how cool was it seeing some of the futuristic tech in this episode, too? That had to be a lot of fun. It was really cool. It was really fun because at first, some of it, the head thing that they put on her head, which lit up, it was really cool. And they actually told us what they were using. The What was it? The thing that she used to actually switch, uh, do the experiment thing. It was an old, wasn't it like a sonogram. Yeah, it was a sonogram. It was an old is that what sonogram, it is? Sonogram? sonogram, something like that. Something like that. It was an old medical device that they used and it was really cool to see all that that they're using all of this like
5: old technology to look so futuristic. I liked in the in in watching it, I liked again, this goes back to the director telling you you got to trust your director. So when the brainwaves and stuff were happening, there was direction of, you know, blink your eyes, look left, look right, and we're just doing it. And then you see it on, and you go, oh, it works. It looks like
0: we're actually going through (laughs) it. It's kind of
6: cool. There were a lot of takes that one.
0: Well, you guys will see exactly what they're talking about when Circuit Breakers premieres on Apple TV Plus on November the 11th. Cole Maz, thank you guys so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank thank you. you. I really do feel like the anthology format for this really, really worked out because there's just a little something different. Each time, and again, one of the biggest successes of Circuit Breakers is this, it was just so wonderfully cast for each particular story. And, and Andrew's exactly right. It was like getting the, the chance to, to make 14 different like mini-movies or something like that. And, and again, some of these lessons are really, really interesting and come, come uh, from a very unique perspective. And the way that they use the tech for each one, and different tech in different episodes— is really really fun and i think that's something if you've got kids that they're really enjoy so make sure you're checking out circuit breakers on apple tv plus this one i think has a chance to be running for quite a while again thanks to the wonderful creators and the cast of circuit breakers for joining me to talk about this very cool anthology series up next there's some fun nerd news to talk about as well so we'll do that next on the down and nerdy podcast
1: This is Rick Remender, comic book nerd of Note, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Time to get those spidey senses tingling. It's time for nerd news. And normally, I don't talk about stuff that doesn't come from, like, a super reputable source. But I thought this one was at least interesting enough to bring up. And I want to preface this by saying this has been no way confirmed. It's just some chatter right now. And one of those things that could be shot down in like two seconds, but why not? Let's have some fun with it. There's been multiple reports from, and I used it, I can't use air quotes here enough, online scoopers who say that Tom Holland is about to be back as Spider-Man. Now, the report suggests that, and this seems to be an agreement, there's going to be a new trilogy, and it's going to be six appearances altogether. So you're looking at maybe appearances in, in the upcoming Avengers movies, which, I mean, Secret Wars, that would kind of make sense especially if, you know, the Spider-Man, I think you kind of got to have in Secret Wars. And also Kang Dynasty is another one that was brought up in one of the reports. I mean, there's some that say Daredevil born again. I'm like, really? You're gonna? That's one of the... You've got six shots at using Tom Holland and you're going to use one on maybe a very small role. And boy, I don't think that's going to happen. But I mean, moving on from what he might be in, let's go look at the perspective of this, of this in general. And Tom Holland already said... When he was doing press for No Way Home, he's like, yeah, I kind of need a break from this role of Spider-Man and Peter Parker. And I mean, this is a role that really takes a lot out of you You're talking about one of, if not the most recognizable superhero in the entire world, not just in your own company, in the entire freaking world. That's a lot of pressure. And Tom Holland nailing that the way he did is already difficult enough. But then you couple that with the fact that these are some grueling movies that he was a part of as well. Spider-Man movies cannot be easy to make for a lot of different reasons. At the same time, even with No Way Home, there's a lot of story left on the table, isn't there? There just feels like there's so much more to tell. And again, I, I think I could spoil No Way Home at this point, right? It's been long enough. It's been almost a freaking year. So let's go ahead and talk about it. When everybody goes back to kind of forgetting who he is, right, it feels like there's a new chapter being written there. It didn't feel like we were closing a story. It felt like we were getting ready to open another one and find out which path Peter wants to take. And that's why I'm like, okay, some people might think that this is a conclusion to the story. I don't actually feel that way. That's not how I was left for me. So, I mean, it could be either way. You could consider it a conclusion or you can consider it. Not a conclusion. I felt like it was not. So there's more story here to tell. Certainly more villains to play with. And and just to see, you know, what Peter does with his life after things just kind of get all thrown through loop for him. And he's basically alone at this point. How does he deal with that? So I certainly see that this could happen. Even though Tom Holland says he wants a break, just because he says he wants a break, doesn't mean he's never going to play Spider-Man again. He never said the words, I don't want to play Spider-Man again. He just said he needed a break. Well, you figure that a Spider-Man movie, even if it's announced tomorrow, let's say this is announced, as is true tomorrow, they come out and they won't, by the way, they won't do this. But let's just say that it's confirmed in the next you know, couple of weeks. It's not like they're going to jump right in to shooting a new Spider-Man movie right away. You got to figure that... A new Spider-Man movie wouldn't even kind of start filming until 2023, right? Maybe even 2024. So it's gonna be a while before you see Tom Holland as Spider-Man again in his own movie. Anyway, so that would be pretty good. That would be a pretty good break from playing the character. So it a reason he could easily come back. Plus, you know, with the, with the chatter of you know Andrew Garfield possibly coming back to do some Spider-Man stuff, you know, maybe even Tobey Maguire, throw him in there. You you never know. It's not like we're not going to get any Spider-Man at all. I still think that we will. But at the same time, that would certainly give Tom Holland enough of a break and enough of a chance for them to figure out, okay, since we're going to try and reinvent things here, where are we going to go with it? It would give them plenty of time to figure that out. So I'm just saying that this is one that we need to keep our eye on. So James Gunn is one of the many that moved to Mastodon after Elon Musk bought Twitter. Not getting into that at all. We're not going to go down there because that could take up the entire time of the show. So I'm not even going to get into that. But one of the things that James Gunn did in his first, one of his first posts on Mastodon was tease a Lobo project that was going to be coming up. Which makes perfect sense in the world of James Gunn. If you want somebody to tell that story or at least launch that story... It would be James Gunn, so immediately Jason Momoa's name gets brought up, and I under, completely understand that. Because if I were to if I were to go back in time, and cast DC roles, say who should play what role, I would have picked Jason Momoa for Lobo immediately. wouldn't have even been a Wouldn't have even been a discussion. He's done a great job as Aquaman, I think. He's done a great job as Arthur Curry, giving us a very different version. Of that character. But the main freaking man. Is the one that he should be playing. In the DC universe. Without question. I think that that is a role that Jason Momoa was born to play. And a role that he could bring to life in a way that I'm not sure many other people could. We've seen some decent versions of Lobo on screen before. But I don't think it would be anything. Like this. So if you could make that happen. Now the co- the only problem with that is. Is that Okay. What happens to Aquaman? Because you can't just not have an Aquaman now, right? So do you recast that role? Do you kind of, you know, phase Aquaman out a little bit? Because I'm going to throw this out here. I'm going to guess that we're not going to see a Justice League movie for a while. I mean, a long while. I don't think they're going to make that mistake twice. I don't think we'll be seeing any Justice League for a while. And depending on how this next Aquaman movie goes, it could be a while before we see Aquaman as well. So it's not like you have to rush another Aquaman project. You don't have to rush into Lobo either, necessarily. But you'd have plenty of time to maybe, you know, reboot Aquaman or, or give us a different Aquaman entirely if you really wanted to. And I don't think it would be that much of a big deal, especially, I mean, if, if they end up doing the Flashpoint thing, which they may or may not. But if we end up doing this and kind of, giving yourself an excuse to be able to reset certain things, then you could certainly reset Aquaman if you wanted to. And I don't think recasting Aquaman would be a huge risk either. Again, not that Jason Momoa hasn't done a great job with it up to this point. I really think he did. But if we lost Jason Momoa as Aquaman, would you go, oh, man, I really wanted him to stay in that role. If you know we can get him as Lobo. Like, if you know you can get Jason Momoa as Lobo, wouldn't you take losing him as Aquaman to give that shot to somebody else who, and I mean, there's any number of actors that I think would do a great job as Aquaman. May Maybe not better than Jason Momoa or maybe better than Jason Momoa, depending on who they pick. So I don't think losing Jason Momoa is a great loss. As long as you keep him as Lobo, I think that that's a trade that I would absolutely make. So this is one I would keep my eye on because when you get anytime you get new people in charge, they look at things and they go, "Okay, how can this be done differently?" Because if it was do, if it was going well, the person in charge would still be the person in charge. But if you're looking at the landscape of everything and you're saying, "What if we did this instead of this?" and that's taking Jason Momoa out of the Aquaman role to put him in the Lobo role, knowing what you can do and what he can do with the character of Lobo. Yeah, I would I would do that in a second. So if this is something that comes to pass, I think it's something to be really really excited about. Now I think is this Merry Christmas like a Blood Origin, right? But that is when The Witcher Blood Origin is going to premiere on Netflix, the prequel series that's going to be coming the live action series and the second you see this teaser trailer and see Michelle Yeoh just owning it is you go, "Okay, yeah, I was automatically in in the first 15 seconds because of that. Maybe that's dumb because it's just a teaser trailer. I don't care. It looked freaking amazing when she was the first thing that I saw and just that first movement that she made. It's it, but that's just her and almost anything at this point. But what this story is is it's 1200 years before the world of The Witcher. That's the one thing that that's one thing that Netflix could definitely tell us about it. And it's one of those stories that story lost to time is one of the things in the description. And it's basically one of seven outcasts uniting against an unstoppable power that took everything from them. Now, what is that unstoppable power? That's one of the things that's teased in what is called the teaser trailer that they don't actually show you. But this is basically, you know, where almost the first witcher came to rise, and you see this this world of magic, and of, of men, and of swords, and just this war that's breaking out, and this is supposed to be where the world of monsters, men, and elves sort of merge into one thing, so this is literally when the shit hits the fan, basically, is what this four-part series is going to be covering, and there's just a lot of epicness that's teased in this trailer. Now, is it the flashy thing? that makes you say, okay, hey, here's a lot of action, and ooh, magic, and ooh, look at this scenery, it's so amazing, and oh, look, you've got some of these great actors that you really, really love, oh, look, there's Minnie Driver, doesn't she look amazing, oh, there's Sophia Brown, and, 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 Mir- and all these different characters that you have in here, but does that story have substance, and is four episodes going to be enough, or is four episodes going to be just enough? And it's going to be one of those things where you go, oh, okay, well, they didn't waste any time because they knew they only had four episodes. So it's really kind of up to Declan Debarra, who is the showrunner and executive producer and also the directors of Sarah O'Gorman and Vicky Juson to make sure that this story got moved forward in a proper way, because that's going to be one of the biggest keys to this whole thing. But I mean, visually, does it look incredible? Yeah, it really, really does. There's no question about that. Looks like there's going to be great action, but Witcher fans are also a very particular bunch. So you got to be really, really careful with how you tell and execute the story, especially if you're going back to tell literally the origins of what is called in the description a prototype Witcher. And also you're, you're teasing some monsters in this trailer as well that, again, we don't get to see because that's why it's called a teaser trailer. So we'll get more about this eventually. I don't think you can really be... Super excited, even though I am, I'm already really excited and 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 just by the teaser trailer, so I fell hook line and sinker for this thing, but again, it's really it really is too early to tell how good or not good this is gonna be. You gotta kind of wait for a full trailer, and Netflix always releases a bunch of featurettes and stuff like that, so there's gonna be plenty that we'll probably learn about this limited series before it comes up, but yeah, the Witcher Blood Origin gonna be coming on Christmas Day this year. So, I mean, Witcher Christmas is not something that's too uncommon. We've seen the show release around that time before. This one will be over a little bit quicker, though. So, looking forward to binging this one. I also want to talk about something that the creator of Gears of War talked about. Speaking of Netflix, we had Cliff Blazinski, who took to Twitter to talk about who he wanted to play, Marcus Fenix, in the upcoming movie that's going to be, be that's going to be on Netflix, so he wants Batista, Dave Batista, to play that role. Can't argue with that at all. If you're going to do a Witcher, excuse me, a Gears of War movie, you might as well get somebody like Batista to play Marcus. He also wants a, a Latino, a Latino actor, to play Dom. Which again, that should be a no-brainer, right? You should be able to do that. There's certainly many, many talented. Latino actors that are out there that can easily play that role. But this is one of those things, again, not all video games have to be, mo- to be movies and TV shows. I think that's something that Netflix needs to realize because they've done that a lot to varying success. Some of them have been great. Some of them, eh, not so much. So, it's, but it seems like they're doing that a lot. But Gears of War is one that you could do and it could be very good. You wouldn't want to overdo it, but you could certainly do it, and it would be very good. There's also going to be an animated series, too, by the way, that Netflix is doing. I think we've talked about that on previous podcasts. But Blazinski also says, hey, I'm not a part of either project. They've got my blessing. Not worried about it. Netflix, you know, it's in Netflix's hands now. So he's not a part of it, but he's making his suggestions. And as the creator of the freaking story and of these characters he should at least have some input, I would think. And they might want to listen to what he has to say. Now, will they be able to get Dave Batista? You know, there's a lot of logistics that are involved there. And you know, if he's not involved, this is tantamount to fan casting. But you know, the ultimate fan is the guy who created these, these things. So his suggestions should be more important than anyone else's. But that also doesn't mean it's going to happen. There's there's money that needs to be involved. We need to know what you know Batista's shooting schedule is, and if he's even available to do something like this. But it just seems like again the kind of role that just suits him very very well. And it's almost like oh yeah well you know why not do this right if there's an opportunity to do so. Plus I think it'd make a fans a lot of fans really happy because I think fans hear that and they go oh yeah yeah I could see that. And I'm sure if you searched the internet or social media enough you'd see some fan castings of Batista as Marcus as well not a stretch for me so again if netflix really insists on doing all of these video game adaptations then you need to start spending some time and money to make sure you're doing it right because you know then you'll have more success than you've had up to this point so again another one of those things to keep an eye on is it going to happen or isn't it i think it'd be really fun if it did And I think it would definitely lend more to a series that's going to have a lot of moving parts to it. And excuse me, a movie anyway, that's going to have a lot of moving parts to it in the animated series as well. And something they're going to have to really handle with care to do justice for the fans. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Thanks to my many guests for joining me this week. If you need more information on the show, you can always go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You can listen to the show on there too by the way, and there's timestamps there to go right to the segment that you want to listen to, so that's always good. Follow along on social media at down and nerdy seven five seven on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, and at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. And just subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I really appreciate you doing that. Really helps out the show a lot. And again, thanks to the folks at Realm. Love being a part of the Realm Network. Got some more cool Realm stuff coming up for you too in the coming weeks. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.
1: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The heresies of Radolf Burntwine. Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.